All right, we come now to the preaching of the Word of God this morning. If you have your Bibles today, I want to invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And before we unpack this chapter together as a local church, we're going to pray and we're going to ask for God's help again this morning. Let's do that now. Lord, we come to you today and we honor you as our King, Lord. You are our Lord, our Master, our King, our Ruler. And God, we ask that you would rule over us this morning. Lord Jesus, you are Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Lord, we pray that you would rule over all our discouragements today, that you would banish them by your word. Lord, we pray that you would rule over all the things that hinder us from seeing you rightly, Lord. God, we pray that you would scatter your enemies this morning, the enemies of our soul, by your word, Lord Jesus. Be our king, Lord, rule over us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, church, let's stand together this morning, and we're going to cover this whole chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 8. So let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and by fearing Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that He has given you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today, Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, 
And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. For it is He who gives you power to get wealth that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Grace Community Church, this is God's word to us this morning. You may be seated. Most important words that you're going to hear in the next little while are the words that we just read. Those are the only words that we can say, man, those are God-breathed words from heaven, words without error. And so we're going to give ourselves to studying these words this morning. What we find in in Deuteronomy chapter 8 is we find that Israel's circumstances are about to change. This is a chapter of contrast. They've been walking in the wilderness for 40 years. They're on the edge of the promised land. Look at verse 7. God is bringing you into a good land. So you could say that times are a-changing in Israel. Okay, You've been going this way for a really long time. But things are about to change. God is about about to bring you into a good land. And maybe you can relate to that. Some long, hoped-for turn of circumstances in the right direction. Man, I've been waiting for this for a really long time. That's where we're at in the history of the people of God. The whole chapter is framed by this drastic contrast. From the wilderness to the promised land. From scarcity and lack to prosperity. You can actually divide Deuteronomy 8 almost in half and see those contrasts. And so what this chapter is, is this is Moses' exhortation to those who are about to leave the wilderness behind. Right. So you look up in the rearview mirror and those... Really drastic, desperate circumstances are behind you. And this is Moses' word to the people of God. Here's what you need to know. And essentially, we're told three things in this chapter. Number one, he commands us, remember God in the wilderness. 
And you see that in verses 1 through 6. Before you go into this new land, remember God in the wilderness. Number two, Moses commands Israel to bless God in the promised land. And you see this in verses 7 through verse 10. Bless the Lord your God for all the good that the Lord is going to give to you. And then number three, Moses commands the people of God, do not forget God when he brings you prosperity. You see this in verses 11, verse 11 through the end of the chapter, verses 11 through 20. So there's your outline this morning. Number one, remember God in the wilderness. Number two, bless God in the promised land. And number three, don't forget God in prosperity. And so before going forward, Israel is called to look backwards. And we see that dynamic many times in the Bible. They're to look back and they're to remember something. He tells them to remember the wilderness. Now this is sort of like, you know, growing up in a really small town. And all of a sudden, you know, in early adulthood, you launch out and you're about to move to the big city. And somebody from your town taps you on the shoulder and says, remember where you came from. Okay? You need to remember where you came from. Right? This is sort of like that. This is Moses' exhortation to the people of God. As you move forward, don't forget where you came from. Israel is called to take a survey of the last 40 years in their life. And it's a survey where they're to recount the faithfulness of God. Look at verse 2. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Look back and remember God's care for you. That's the commandment here. Now let's start by defining the wilderness. Okay, what is the wilderness? In the Bible, it is simply this. An uninhabitable land. Okay, it's simply that. It is a place that cannot sustain you. The wilderness is somewhere that you cannot naturally sustain yourself. It is a place that cannot naturally sustain life. It lacks the resources that are necessary to sustain human life. And so what you need to know about the wilderness is that it will kill you. That's what you need to know about wandering in the wilderness is you will die there. Okay? That land cannot support you. It cannot sustain you. The wilderness will kill you, asterisk, unless you have some sort of outside help. You can't live off the wilderness. You have to receive help from outside the wilderness to be sustained in the wilderness. And so this is what the people of God are called to remember. Remember the wilderness years. Remember the wilderness stage in Israel. And look at verse 2. They're actually to remember, not that they stumbled and just happened to find themselves there. They're actually called to remember people of God. God led you there. 
God led you to that place and to that land of scarcity. God led you to that desolate place called the wilderness. Now, this is one of the really big difficulties of the Christian life to learn is that our God leads us into trials and into suffering. I mean, amen, people of God all across the room. This is hard stuff to learn. That God, the God of the Bible, at times and in seasons, he leads us into wildernesses. Okay, We see this all over the Bible. Think about this. Think about how many times God's servants meet God in the wilderness. God takes them out to a desolate place and then God reveals himself to them. Pours out his faithfulness and his power on his servants. Jacob... Moses, Hagar, Elijah, John the Baptist, all servants of God that met God in the wilderness. God revealed himself to them in the, in the desolate place, in the desert. And then we read in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, we read these words of Jesus, the beloved Son of God. Listen to these words. The Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You're reading the Bible for the first time, you're like, what kind of Bible is this? What kind of typo is this in the Bible? What do you mean the Holy Spirit leads the beloved, sinless Son of God into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Wait a second. You mean like the Spirit led Jesus to the coronation ceremony to sit on His holy throne and all the angels would bow down and worship Him. But our Bibles teach that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And so we see this pattern in the Bible that God leads His people into difficulties. And we got to fight to see this rightly. Okay? That when we face these difficult seasons and these trials in our life, the temptation is this. Man, I cannot wait to get out of these circumstances so that I can get back to God's plan for my life. Okay? These circumstances are just a massive setback to God's plan for my life. And I'm ready to hit the eject button on these difficulties, and I'm ready to get back to the business of the plan of God for my life. That's the temptation, is it not? And yet, what we got to fight to see and fight to believe is that the difficulties, the trials, the wildernesses, they're actually part of God's plan for our life. They're not detours, right? They're part of the way that God leads his people. It's on the map, so to speak. Verse 2 tells us that God has a twofold purpose for Israel in the wilderness. Number one, to humble them. God wants to humble his people. Number two, he did it to test them to see if obedience was in their heart. She might be thinking this morning, why in the world would God ever do this? He tells you right here. God is interested in our holiness. He wants to humble his people. We'll talk about how in just a moment. 
And he wants us to see whether obedience is really in our hearts. He wants to prove it out, to test it, to to refine us like gold refined in the fire. And so Christian, ask yourself this morning, how do you respond to difficulty? How do you handle it? How do you handle suffering, pain, grief, lack, disappointment? Hardship. How do you respond to those things? This is something that God desires for us to see about ourselves. He wants to, see, he wants to show us what's in our heart. He wants, to, he wants us to see it. One of the things that you'll learn about reading Christian biographies, great servants of God in history, fruitful servants of God in history, I mean through the ages. One of the common things that you see is that those who accomplish great things for Jesus Christ, fruitful servants of Jesus Christ, they all have one common thread, right? They went through this training plan, this regiment, okay, called suffering. God took those fruitful servants through this wilderness program where they went through trials and God put them to the test, tested their obedience, and God used the difficulties in their life to shape, to mold them, to refine them. Not only is this all over the Bible, this is all over Christian history. Okay? Personalized wilderness training. Think about that for a Facebook ad. I've started a new business. I want to tell you about it. It's awesome. I need 100 subscribers. We're going to call it personalized wilderness training. And we say, no thanks. Right? No thanks. We have to learn to see our difficulties as part of God's training program. Right? This is the way he trains his people. This is one of the means that he uses to make us like Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 tells us that this wilderness season was intended to discipline Israel. And then it says this, as a father disciplines his son. And so these wilderness seasons do not come to the people of God from this cold, distant deity... What are we supposed to think of them as? The loving discipline of our Heavenly Father. Like a loving Father disciplines His Son. And so we should never, ever, ever believe the lie that the difficulties in my life right now are indications that God doesn't love me. That's a lie. It's actually the exact opposite in the Bible. We are told what? God disciplines those he what? Loves. It's the exact opposite. Right? He loves us too much to let us go our own way. He loves us too much to leave us where we are. We're we're part of this training program being conformed more and more to the image of Jesus. This is God's fatherly care for us. we got to fight to see it this way. We don't see it this way naturally. How did God accomplish this humbling of this nation? Look at verse 3. He says, I humbled you and I let you hunger. 
He took them to the most base, foundational human need. And he says, I let you hunger. Now, full stop, pause right there. There's a whole segment of Christianity hijacked by this man-centered view of God, this sentimental view of God that says, my God would never do that. Never, never would, would my God do that. And yet Moses says, he let you hunger. He let you go hungry. He let you hunger. Okay? Meaning, he called this nation to dwell in a land of scarcity for 40 years. A land that would kill them without outside help. He called them to dwell there for 40 years. He let you hunger is what the word of God says. He let you hunger. The wilderness removed all the natural provision. No water, no bread. And Israel was cast upon God alone. Verse 3. And God sustained them there. Verse 3, I fed you with manna that you did not know. Forty years they were recipients of the faithfulness of God. I let you hunger and I fed you with manna that you did not know. And so think about this whole arrangement. Nation living in a land that will kill them. And yet God faithfully providing this outside help, this heavenly help, this heavenly bread. Manna that you did not know. That whole arrangement was designed to teach Israel this lesson. Verse 3, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's what the wilderness season was intended to teach them. Bread here stands for all the natural, all the material things necessary for our life. We need bread, okay? Even if you're gluten-free, you need bread, all right? It stands for food, stands for water, stands for shelter and clothes, wages, everything that is needed to sustain your life. That's what you're supposed to think about when you read that word. You need bread to live. Bread is what we need for our livelihood. This is how God made us. Right? The problem is this. That many people, and way too often, even the people of God, live only for the things in this life. Which Moses called, calls in this text, li they live by bread alone. They live only upon those physical necessities. Jesus tells us that that kind of thinking dominates the world. He says this in Matthew 6, verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after these things. It's right after Jesus says, don't worry about what you're supposed to eat, what you're supposed to drink, what you're supposed to wear, food, water, clothing. Jesus says the nations seek after these things. That's what the world is going after. And then Jesus says this, and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Jesus says that about bread. God knows you need bread. 
And all the nations of the world, that's what they're chasing after. They're living by bread alone. And so as Christians, as the people of God, we have to learn that we don't live like the rest of the world. We don't live by bread alone. We don't live like this. We must learn to live, Deuteronomy 8.3, by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. And you know what? Wilderness seasons are uniquely suited to teach us that lesson right there. Let's think about why together this morning. The desolation of the wilderness removes the props upon which man naturally depends. Right? Think about it. How does God normally provide bread for his people? How is it, what's the normative way? Okay. Well, we're called to work hard for our bread. And so the normative way that God provides bread for his people involves human labor. In fact, so tightly are those two things tied together that the New Testament even says that the one who doesn't work shouldn't what? Shouldn't eat. The normative way that God provides bread for his people is they work really hard for it. This is why Christians aren't just a bunch of hippies with no job. We go and work every day, right? This is how God provides for us. That's the normative way. Every day we trust God for certain things. We trust God that we're going to have a job next week. We're trusting in God that Kroger's going to be open tomorrow. That there's not going to be plywood you know, over all the windows. That we're going to be able to walk in, slide these little plastic squares through this machine and buy bread. Praise God. It's the normative way this is done. Or think about if you're a child. How does God, what's the normative way that God provides bread to little kids? They're trusting every day that mama and daddy are going to have enough resources to buy what we need. Okay, that's the normative way that it's done. So they're trusting in their mom and dad. They're trusting God that their mom and dad are going to have what they need. The thing I want you to understand is the normative way that God provides bread for his people is through means. Through means. But we all know how this works. As time goes on, God's providing through these means, we are tempted to do what? Trust in the means. Forget about God behind the means. The God who's ultimately providing for us through all the means, through our jobs, through these stores, through our resources, through our parents. And then all of a sudden, boom, here comes the wilderness. And in a moment, all the normative means of provision, they don't work anymore. Banks are closed. Debit cards don't work. Stores are boarded up. Drought comes. There's no grain in the fields. All the normative ways that God provides for his people in the wilderness, they are yanked away from us. And we are all of a sudden, we are cast utterly upon our God. By its very nature, the wilderness is designed to bring us to the end of ourselves. Remember we said that. 
What is the wilderness? The wilderness will kill you unless you get some sort of outside help. You need help. You need to be sustained in this place. It brings us to the end of ourselves. It breaks our self-sufficiency and it teaches us to grow in our dependence upon God. Israel is to remember this. Remember all of this. Remember 40 years of this arrangement where you were in need and God was faithful. God fed Israel with manna, he says. In other words, their life was sustained by supernatural means. Couldn't look at Israel and, and explain it any other way than God provides for them from heaven. Why? Because bread is falling from the sky daily for 40 years. And this was to teach them that their ultimate source of all that they needed was God and his word. That's the lesson that they were supposed to be learning in the wilderness, that God was cultivating in his people. Notice in verse 3 that Moses says this, Man shall not live by bread alone. Now, ask yourself really quickly, why not Israel? God is dealing with Israel. Why, why, why not Israel shall not live by bread alone? Why this universal word here? Okay? Because one of the things we're supposed to learn from Deuteronomy chapter 8 is this arrangement, this, this wilderness program that God has taken Israel through is not meant just for Israel. They're a paradigm here. In other words, the lessons that they're learning and the training that they are receiving is a paradigm of what every human being must learn. Jesus actually quotes this text. Man shall not live by bread alone. All God's people have to learn this. We have to learn that we don't live merely by bread. We live by the spiritual manna that God provides for us. There's something behind the scenes. There's something more decisive and more ultimate. And by the way, the spiritual manna here is compared to the word that's coming forth from the mouth of God. That's what we live by. The words that come from the mouth of God. It is the word of God, think about this, that gives real meaning to human life. It's what gives human life its purpose, its destiny. Is the word of God. And when we turn a deaf ear to the word of God, to the words that are coming out of God's mouth, what happens is mankind sinks down to this lower plane of living, okay? Living on this lower plane than God intended. And what Moses calls that is living by bread alone. And we weren't meant to live this way. We weren't, we weren't made for merely food and drink and clothes and shelter. What were we made for? We were made for God. We were made for higher things, for the glory of God. Unbelievers are, are the ones chasing after these things, the material, only the here, only the now. But the people of God were made for God. We don't live by bread alone. And so for Israel, faith in the wilderness looks like trusting God to send his word to bring them manna. 
Lord, you're going to be faithful to provide what we need. That's what their faith looked like. For us, faith in the wilderness looks like trust in God for spiritual bread. Even when we don't have natural bread. That same impulse that, that cast itself upon God. God, you will give me what I truly need. There's a lack in my life right now. There's a difficulty in my life right now. But you're going to send the spiritual manna. You're going to give me what I truly need. I will be sustained, Lord, by your word in this season. That's what our faith looks like in the wilderness. Living by every word that comes from the mouth of God is trusting God's lips to send you your lot. What you need. Your provision. And that's exactly what Jesus did in the wilderness. He didn't live by bread alone. He trusted God to send him his lot. In the wilderness we learn that Jesus would rather starve than sin. Than rebel against his God. He's going to cast himself utterly upon his Father in heaven. And so drawing strength in the wilderness looks like being supplied with this otherworldly source of power. And the New Testament looks back to these realities and it sketches the Christian life in the very same categories. That's who the people of God are. The people of God... The servants of Jesus Christ are those who are in tremendous difficulty, but at the same time, they're the ones who are being supplied with this otherworldly, supernatural power from on high. This is God's plan for His people. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. He says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show... That the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Think about this. Why would the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places be given to those with manifest weaknesses like us? Frail bodies, temptations to sin, we get discouraged. And yet our boast is that the resurrection power of Jesus Christ lives in us. Why, why would God allow this arrangement? He tells us right here. That heavenly treasure is put into jars of clay. That's us. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He goes on to say this. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed. But we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Old Testament way of saying those, that exact same truth is, Lord, we are hungry in the wilderness, but we are not without manna. God puts his people in difficulty, and then he strengthens them with supernatural power. This is the testimony of Israel in the wilderness. I feel like there's a bird or something behind me up here, right? See the, all the eyes going, you know, uh, everywhere. So if somebody's about to jump on me from behind, somebody let me know, okay? Um, Israel is to remember these days. Remember God in the wilderness, okay? They're not to forget God's care for them in the wilderness. Let me say this. 
All this was temporary. All this was temporary. Israel was not to expect the manna to fall forever. It was a temporary arrangement. And so God's people are not anti-bread. Okay? The normative way that God provides for Christians is not ravens and manna falling from heaven. We're not anti-bread. This was a temporary lesson that Israel was to learn so that when God changes their circumstances and sends them into the land, they enter that land with this faith lesson that they have learned. I don't live by bread alone. There's something behind all the means. God is providing for me. God will give me what I need. Verse 7, God declares that he's changing the circumstances. He's going to bring them into the land. Listen to some of these descriptions. You'll get a a feel of the contrast. Verse 9, it is a land without any scarcity. You knew scarcity for 40 years. God says, no more. Not going to be any more scarcity. He says again in verse 9, you will lack nothing. Think about how comforting that is to this generation. All they've known was lack and desolate and being sustained supernaturally by God. And all of a sudden God says, you're going to lack nothing. In contrast to the wilderness, look at the radical shift here. Verses 7 and 8. This will be a land of water. Think about how many times you have took that blessing for granted. I mean, you cut the spout on and water comes out. He said, we're going to have water in this land. There's going to be water here. Flowing water. A land of wheat, verse 8. A land of olives, a land of honey. Verse 10, look what he says. You shall, you shall eat and be full. I want you to see that contrast right there. Verse 3, you are hungry. Verse 10, you're going to be full. No more wilderness test anymore. You're going to the promised land. He promises his people prosperity. What a gift of God to Israel. To these wilderness wanderers. The hungry are going to be full. What is Israel to do when they get into the wilderness? Verse 10. Sorry, when they get into the promised land. Verse 10. You shall bless the Lord your God. For the good land that he has given you. So when God brings these blessings, this prosperity into the history of Israel, the Bible teaches that the proper response to prosperity is to praise God. God provides for you. God gives you blessings and you bless God. God gives you blessings. You bless the blesser. You praise God. Who gives you good gifts. I remember years ago. You know. um, Trying to help someone who had uh, bumped into the teaching. uh, 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 Misunderstood application of the doctrine of human depravity. That this person thought that they shouldn't teach their children to pray. Because their children were depraved. And God doesn't hear us outside of faith in Jesus Christ and so until they're converted they shouldn't pray at all and I remember asking them a question that was helpful to them I said you mean you shouldn't teach your kids to say thank you when God provides for them okay that basic impulse okay 
you got to teach them that when God gives them blessings, they didn't deserve that. They better render praise and thanks to God who gave them those blessings. Okay? Otherwise, you're teaching them to be you know, ungrateful you know, little brats. That's not Christian uh, child training. That's not bringing your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we have this basic lesson here. When God gives you good gifts, you bless his holy name. You praise him for all the good that he gives to his people. And any lack of that shows that we really haven't learned the lesson of the wilderness yet. We really haven't learned it. If when God gives us good gifts, we don't give him praise to his name. This is why Moses warns us in verse 11. He says, take care lest you forget. Now, it is amazing our capacity to forget what we should never forget. And I don't mean, and the Bible doesn't mean, merely not able to recall the facts. Okay, Spiritual forgetting is more than that. It's sin. It's disobedience. That's what it is. And it is amazing how quickly we can forget the things that we never should forget. Think about this. You're walking in the wilderness. And you do it for a week, a month, and a year. And you look around and you say, man, we've been doing this for 40 years. When God gets me out of this pit, I will never forget. And Moses says, take care lest you forget. Really similar warnings in the New Testament about the people of God being warned, never forget the gospel. Remember that you were separated from God. You aren't always a good person. You didn't always know God. You were alienated from the promises, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You had no hope and no God. Don't ever forget that. So he calls the people of God here. He exhorts us, take care, verse 11, lest you forget. And so that wilderness lesson was supposed to remind us we don't secure our well-being by our own strength and our own resources. That's the whole point of taking you to the end of yourself, breaking that self-sufficiency. But Moses is warning us that's a lesson that we are prone to forget in prosperity. The lessons that God teaches his people in the wilderness are lessons that they are prone to forget in prosperity. Verses 12 through 14. It is specifically when Israel gets into the land, settled into the land, good is happening, some time has gone by. Listen to what Moses says. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. And so we need to lean in and listen. We need to learn this. There is a universal human tendency that God's word is making us aware of. We need to learn that. The tendency is this. Forget the giver while we enjoy his gifts. Okay, And Moses is saying, be very careful that you do not do that. 
You need to know that about yourself. You've got to fight that. The tendency is gifts, 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 and forget the giver, are, are dull to the giver. Moses calls this the sin of forgetting God. That's what it means to forget God. Just using, 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 no praise, no thanks, no memory of the gracious things that God has done for you. And Moses tells us that the sin of forgetting God, what takes his place? You forget God, what takes his place? And he says human boasting. We're not a vacuum. You can't just take God out and nothing happened. He says you forget God and, and enter human boasting. This is what he tells us in verse 17. So think about this. How easy would it be? You find yourself in the promised land and you're you know, reminiscing with your buddies. And the thoughts go something like this. Man, after all we went through in Egypt. After all our forefathers went through in Egypt. Man, after all the hardship. We deserve this. We deserve this land. We deserve that break of suffering. Or, man, after all the miles we wandered in the wilderness, after all the days we spent there in that difficulty, you know what? You know what? We deserve this. We deserve this prosperity. We deserve these blessings. Or what about this one? Man, after all the enemies we conquered here, after all the peoples we fought and overcame and, and, and went to battle and, and, and was victorious in battle. Man, after all the wars of Joshua's generation, you know what? We, we, we deserve this. Like We fought for this. We deserve this prosperity. Moses unmasked that pride in verse 17. He says this, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and my might have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers. So let's ask another question. How could we ever forget that? In a similar way, how could we ever forget the wilderness? How could we ever forget that it is God who brings about our prosperity? How could sinful man ever dream that, man, I have done this. This is my work. Here's the answer. This comes from Old Testament scholar Peter Craigie. He says this. Man knows he must work in order to provide essentials for physical existence. But in that very labor, he may easily forget that ultimately... It is God who makes provision for man's life. Friends, I want you to learn that. It is precisely because the normative way that God gives us blessings involves our agency and our labor. It is precisely for that reason that we have a temptation to boast. This is my work. Okay? If it were the other way around, if it were ravens coming and bringing me everything and manna dropping from heaven, it's a lot harder to boast that you did that. But the normative way that this happens and God brings blessing to his people, there's a temptation there for you to be blind to God and think, man, I did this. I brought this about. 
And so we have to see God not only behind the bread, but also behind all the good gifts that he gives us. It's the lesson of the whole chapter. we got to trust God for everything that we have, for all that we are. Deuteronomy 8 is essentially an exhortation to trust God for everything, to trust yourself for nothing, to not lean on these means, but to lean on God. This chapter calls us to repent of self-sufficient lives. we got to turn away from this stuff. And it causes us to live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so church, I want us to learn this. I want us to learn both of these lessons well. We are called as the people of God to live with deep contentment in Jesus Christ. Deep contentment. Not tied to our circumstances. Deep contentment. We're, we're supposed to know how to go in lack and how to abound. That's what Paul says in Philippians 4. That we got to learn this stuff. we got to learn how to navigate all these seasons of life with this deep contentment that whatever comes my way, I have Jesus. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. That's the boast here. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4. He says, verse 11, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. You know what that sounds like? Deuteronomy chapter 8. First half sounds like the wilderness. I know how to be brought low. Second half sounds like the promised land. I know how to abound. And then he says this. How did you learn this lesson, Paul? How did you learn this thing? And he says this. Or first he says this. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and facing hunger. Of facing abundance and facing need. So again, we have these these two radical circumstances cast before us. Suffering and plenty. Paul says, I have learned the secret. I know how to do both of those things. And we're leaning in and say, please teach me. I want to learn how to do both of those things. Okay? I want to learn how to do both of those things. And here's what he says. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How do we do this stuff? How do we navigate these radical contrasts in the Christian life with this deep contentment? And Paul says, I do it through Jesus. He's the one that strengthens me. I can do all things through Jesus. There's this Christward gaze in Paul's life that you're able to drop him in any circumstances and you find this deep contentment there. This deep contentment. It is only through Jesus, the one who strengthens us, that we can glorify God in every circumstance. That's how we do it. We fix our gaze, our mind, on Jesus Christ. I want to finish up this morning. I want to speak to the Christian who is experiencing extreme difficulty, some difficulty in your life. And as we're reading about this wilderness journey, this wilderness season, there's something resonating there. I feel like there's a difficulty right now. I want to learn from it. I want to receive everything that God has for me in this training. 
So this is to our brothers and sisters in the wilderness. First thing I want you to know is that in Christ, you have not been abandoned by God. You are not without God. You're never without God. The blood of Jesus has purchased for you the best of gifts. You get God forever. Jesus has promised to be with you all the days to the end of the age. He says, be content with what you have. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So the one thing that you can take to the bank if you're in Christ and in difficulty is you're not without God. You're not without God. God has not abandoned his people. And you're not experiencing this difficulty because God doesn't care about you. Really important that you know that. I want you to remember in the Gospels, right before Jesus enters into the wilderness, we have this scene where the Son of God takes baptism. And upon that baptism, upon the coming up out of the water of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit descends on him. And then we have these words from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And you can know that. That God sent the beloved son in the wilderness. God sent the one that pleased him well into the wilderness. Those difficulties don't mean that God doesn't care for you. That God doesn't love you. And I want to remind you this morning that Jesus, when he went into that wilderness, he did it for you. He did that for his people. That wasn't just for himself. Think about this. Right before he enters the wilderness, what happened? He's standing in the waters of baptism. That's the waters of repentance. So you've got to scratch your head for a minute. It's like, well, man, what is the sinless son of God doing standing in the waters of repentance? He's identifying with his people. He's doing this for us. When he goes to be tested in the wilderness, tempted by the devil, he's doing that for us. That righteousness, that perfect righteousness that is required to save us from our sins, he's showing us how beautiful it is, how expansive it is. It's unconquerable righteousness. And so Jesus is in the wilderness for his people. Why did he quote when he's in the wilderness? Why did he quote from our passage? This morning. Why did he quote from Deuteronomy 8? Why did he quote the words that we read today? Why did he fast for 40 days? Because he's identifying with the people of God. He's identifying as the true Israel. Where they failed, I don't. I'm the true Israel. I'm going to perfectly obey my Father in heaven. And we see that righteousness demonstrated there. He's carried to the very limits of his humanity. And he perfectly obeys his Father in heaven. He did it for us. On the cross, Jesus faced thirst. He said those words, I thirst. He faced the thorns of the crown that was pressed upon his head. That was the ultimate wilderness, the ultimate uninhabitable land. It will kill you. It cannot sustain you. Jesus was cast into the outer darkness for us. Jesus went into the wilderness for his people. And so that all who trust him, though we are totally undeserving, we could enter into the land of blessing. 
And the Bible says that's true of every Christian, that all the blessings, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours in Christ. And so if that's you this morning, I want you to be encouraged. And I want to exhort you in the midst of all of your difficulty to trust God, to trust God. I want, you, I want to exhort you to trust God for manna. Final thing I'll say here is when you don't see a natural path forward, you don't know how to tip the scales here and remove yourself from this difficulty, I want to exhort you to trust God to sustain your soul. Trust God to give you spiritual manna. Trust God to provide for you in such a way that your strength and your nourishment cannot be explained as merely human. Trust God to sustain you. Here's who God is in Isaiah 43. This is our God. Let's behold him together. I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. That's our God. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we pray that you would teach us to live by faith, to live a life of faith in the Son of God. Lord, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit this morning that you would turn our gaze Christward. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would manifest your glorious sufficiency in the midst of all of our difficulties. Lord, we pray that you would sustain your people. Teach us to live by every word that comes from your mouth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord together this morning.